This is the Liberator Podcast from Giant Worldwide. Welcome to the Liberator Podcast. My name is Jeremy Kubitschek. I'm here with Steve Cochran, co-founder of Giant Worldwide. And uh, what else can I add to your um, amazing, he's actually a really good golfer, and um, a great guy. So Steve, how are you today? I'm doing very well, Jeremy. Always grateful for my American introductions. Um, you're, you're a pretty good guy yourself as well. That That's British, by the way, for you. You're awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're all right. You're pretty good. Yeah, you're doing okay. What, what's wrong with me? <laughs> well, the, the thing I can say is that London, I don't, we may be even hotter than Oklahoma today. London is sweltering in 31 degrees um, centigrade for you Americans, or that's like high 80s for us Brits, which is usually enough for people to die. There is actually uh, medical alerts out. People are, you know, all our houses are designed to keep the heat in. Um, over the winter. So in the summer, no one's got air conditioning. And um, you can't buy a fan on Amazon for love and the money. Even as an Amazon Prime customer, it still will be tomorrow before we get here. But probably by Friday, it'll be raining. So uh, it may be a dramatic overstatement. But that's the big news in London this week. Well, I know when we were there, it was like 82 degrees every single day for like two months. It was amazing. And it was just beautiful. I'm like, what are all the Brits whining about? This is amazing. <laughs> yeah, and then I ran into January, February, and, and I got it. Yeah, um, well, you, you bring sunshine with you wherever you go, Jeremy. I've learned that over the years. Speaking of, what did you bring? Because uh, for those who don't know, Steve and Helen Cockrum, they had the opportunity to receive a 25-year certificate for marriage. Oh, wait, you didn't get a certificate. You just celebrated 25 years. We did, yeah. We did. It's part marriage. of our year of celebration, and Helen has had the dubious pleasure of being married to me now for 25 years. And, uh, wow. We, Bless her. We, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I think her reward in heaven will be great. I think that's the uh, <laughs> that's the general general assumption. It's interesting when I say that, no one disagrees. So, you know, yeah, shout, out, like, yeah, shout out to Helen. Yeah. Um, if, it <laughs> if it hadn't been for Helen being an ISFJ nurturer, um, a lot of our material would never have emerged out of my yeah. own personal failure and repentance. So oh, we went in, we went to New York for five days, and I don't think I've ever been anywhere without the children, obviously for a long time, where we got to be absolute tourists and just the people we stayed with, the people we met, some of the giants who flew into with us. Um, it was amazing. They knew New York back to front, and they honestly we walked miles. I think we walked thirty-five miles in four days. So you know. That's a lot, but we loved it. Had a so, fantastic time. So, give me your cultural um, review of New York. What did you love about it? What, what was it? And, and then do the New York versus London. Let's do a comparison real, real quick. Let's get into that argument. Gosh, well, New York, I think, is just vast. I don't think anybody in the way it goes up. So, if ever you wanted to be utterly inspired by the architecture of building things up, I was just I love skyscrapers. I mean, we went round the the nine eleven sort of memorial museum and the, the the holes where the buildings have been and the new building that they built, the, you know, the new Freedom Tower. This thing just goes on forever. Um, so I think that was the big issue. Um, culturally, everyone's really friendly in New York. It was it was really interesting that kind of when we um, whenever we met people, we looked like we're getting lost on the subway, which happened often. Um, they would always ask, could they help? So I think London, people tend to get on with their lives and you know you, you don't tend to speak to people a great deal on tubes. 
Whereas I think America was a lot more friendly. Um, the food is ridiculous. I mean, how you don't put on weight living in New York remains a mystery to me. Um, let's just say none of it, everything tastes amazing, but none of it will be particularly healthy on my new lifestyle choice diet. So I'm back in penance this week. Um, but you asked me, what was the big differences? Um, yeah, which one? Do you like London or New York better? Gosh, that's a tough question. I think kind of we only went did Manhattan, really. So if you if I could choose where I would like a penthouse on a top floor of a, a large skyscraper with glass all the way around, I would probably say New York simply because I love diversity and difference. Um, and I think it's smaller. So therefore, you, you feel like I feel like I know Manhattan reasonably well. I mean, we walked virtually all the way around it and through Central Park. London, I think, is a much bigger kind of sprawling metropolis. I guess have we done Brooklyn, Queens, you know, all that sort of yeah, yeah, the yeah. same. But I guess I love America. I always say when I'm when I'm in America, I feel like I get to be truly me without being embarrassed. Or at least I probably embarrass Helen in both places. But at least in America, I didn't stand out by being talkative and excited about most things. So um, ha- would you say, and by the way, this is not our topic for those listening of the day, <laughs> but it's, I think it's, it is kind of fun and we get, you know, we get to, to get feedback culturally. Um, if you were to rank the London as, is London cleaner? Than New York? Poor, good question. Um, or more clean for those who, for the grammar right. I would say that the buildings in London are cleaner because I think that a lot of them are owned by the state and therefore they're looked after as part of the deal. Um, I think, I think probably, yes, I think probably London is slightly cleaner, would be my read. I think as well that, that there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of traffic in both. But I think London may have spent a bit more money recently on cleaning all the buildings for the Olympics. It certainly feels at the moment that London is a, a city that's being spruced up and built. But the amount of building going on in New York at the moment, so we walked along the High Line, um, which is like the old rail track where they converted into this kind of park in the sky. And they're building apartments just everywhere. Um, amazing. Just I love watching the cranes. It's very sad to me. It's a bit like being a train spotter. But I, every single time, I just see this huge crane being built on the side of a thing. How on earth do they get that thing down? That, that's my question to anyone out there. How do you get a crane down when it's like 1,200 feet in the air? I, I've never quite worked that out. Do you know the answer? You, you may, being a clever man. No, I don't. I don't. I'm not a, I, I'm not a craniologist. <laughs> but um, I do believe there are craniologists out there. So that is uh, it's Steve at GiantWorldwide.com. Yeah. Uh, send the answer to his how do you get a crane down to anyone. Yeah, there you go. I've tried YouTube and it doesn't seem to make any difference. So come on, I'm open to open to help. Anyway, that's, en- <laughs> that's enough about me. Obviously, you've been working hard while I've been busy on holiday because someone's got to pay for it all. So what's been happening? what's been happening in your world, Jeremy? Uh, I've been spending most of my time with Delta, um, uh, not in their corporate headquarters, but on their airplanes. So I've okay. been flying uh, all over. I've been to Cancun. I've been to uh, getting ready for our Liberator network. So yeah, I had the the tough trip, you know, to go down and, and have to scout for us. Yeah, I must so have I missed think, the invitation for that. Did I ever I, see an invitation for that? Yeah, you, you were you it? were gone. You were traveling. Oh, okay, you, fair enough. Yeah, okay. and uh, so we had the the. <laughs> opportunity to uh, check out the funny part is you'd think it'd be like oh you get to go to Cancun like yeah I saw eight different hotels in about three days so it wasn't like sitting around by the beach as much as I want to my wife got to go she got to do that that was fun and I've also can't complain because I've been to Santa Barbara uh, once and then I'm going back again uh, next week 
and I've been in Atlanta twice. So it's been a it's been a very busy uh, time frame to say the least, but all really good. So fun when you get to do what you love and be around people that you love and serve mm-hmm. com- uh, companies and people you like. It just it's, it's been really. Really how's good. your 70-30 right now? We, we talk often about going, if you can spend 70% of your time doing what's life-giving, energizing, usually with your first two voices, you'll always have the energy for the 30%. So, you know, what, what would you say you are right now? I'm about, I would say I'm about 60, I would say 65. So 65-35. So, okay. yeah. Trending, trending really, in really close. Direction. Trending 70-30. Okay. Uh, I've got a couple of big things to get off my list, and when I do, I think I'll I'll move pretty quickly there. But I, I think in the last week, for those who you don't know, we have um, we we train giants uh, to do what we do um, uh, across mainly Europe and the U.S. right now, and we're expanding in in both places. But uh, we just finished associate training, and I feel really alive. I feel got great groups of people who consult and help other companies. So yeah, I'm feeling really good. So thanks well, for asking. You, you, and, and you know that's all that matters to me. Your well-being is my... I wake every day hoping that you're doing well, so that's good I, to know. I, you've got a picture over your bed, which is kind of strange, but uh, no, I'm joking. <laughs> but what about you? 70-30 after being on so many holidays and vacations, is it 90-10? Well, I mean, I, 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 I <laughs> would say right joke. now it's probably... I'm almost in indulgent 80-20 mode. Um, I know you've been doing a lot of Guardian detail on the Accelerate programs and things like that. I'm almost in this place where um, three years' worth of investment in team means actually multiplication has actually happened. And I'm actually being way more strategic in how I use time right now. So I feel like I've got... uh, I sometimes feel a little bit disorientated, but actually great things are happening. Um, But it's probably been... I can't remember a time in my life when I've been at 80-20. So... um, you know, and I know we're coming to Atlanta next week for our first kind of partners, global partners gathering. So I think when we get to invest in the people we care most about, um, and for me, the, I think the fruit of seeing people that you've apprenticed really now going about their business, and in many cases doing it far better than I actually did it in the first instance, that for me, I think, is one of the most powerful, um, I guess, demonstrations of what Giant's about, that transformation first but then actually the true multiplication of knowledge skills and expertise so i I see that happening all over our world at the moment and uh yeah really encouraged by that and a happy wife is a happy life as you once taught me and my wife at the moment thinks it's great that um five days in new york when we were able to enjoy everything that is there just together with no kids um right now my, my my bank account is probably as high as it's been for a long time so there you go well, let's, let's get into it. What are we going to talk about today, Steve? What's our topic for our listeners, our friends? Uh, I guess there's 2.6 million now uh, that yeah. are listening to the podcast yeah. around mostly uh, Manchuria and lower uh, Antarctica. Yeah, we've been amazed where we've had uh, kind of shout outs from. So it's great. You know, please, please just shout out to us and tell us where you are. But what we've been looking at over the last kind of couple of podcasts is really how do you help teams go to the next level? How do you how do you motivate and inspire individuals? How do different voices uh, receive support and challenge in different ways? And what we thought we'd do today was to look at, in the experience of working with multiple teams in multiple sectors in multiple different locations, what are the three main reasons why teams do not perform at their highest possible potential? 
So if you're leading a team or you're in a team, hopefully some of this will be relevant, but it's all the time asking, how do we help you go to the next level in leadership? And these based on our you know, extensive research, obviously we crunch all the numbers on your behalf. These are the three things that we commonly see as why teams don't perform at the level they are. So Jeremy, do you want to give us the first one? Uh, the first one is the, the simple fact of teams being um, not being intentional, but being accidental and maintaining accidental uh, leadership. So being intentional means that you're simply proactive. You're thinking ahead. You're, you're focused on what people need before they need it. And you're not reacting, but you're being proactive. So that only happens when you're intentional. The problem is that most teams are so fixated on the issue of the day and and almost like laziness because it just it gets easy just to deal with the whirlwind. Yeah, I wake up, I come to work, I deal with my stuff, I go home. And this, but that's not strategic. That's really reactionary. So when you get to that when you get to that point of accidental leadership and accidental team, it actually leads to mediocrity. And what then people wake. Go ahead. What What would you say they mainly end up focused on? How How do you know a team is being accidental rather than intentional? Uh, you know the the crisis of the day, the conversation of the day, the uh, uh, tasks. When When there's not conversations about uh, getting people to the next level, uh, when there's not coaching that's going on on a on a uh, consistent way, uh, when uh, when you get to the point where people are, are literally coming to work and they're doing their to-do list, but it has no correlation to their strategic initiatives, those all lead to accidental um, leadership. What would you add to that? That's really good. I, I think I think we often say um, leaders define culture, and so therefore, in some ways, leaders have a disproportionate impact on the lives of those who are in their teams, and so. When I think when you know we, we've shared the the high support high challenge matrix with with everyone a number of times, I think it's just that constant reminder that we all have tendencies as leaders. We we all, um, if we're accidental, we almost default back to the natural strength. So for me, if I'm accidental, um, high challenge continues to happen, but I become very accidental in support, and so therefore it can often feel like it becomes more of a dominating culture within a team. Um, conversely, if somebody is naturally good at support, the moment they become unintentional in bringing challenge, you'll often find that things default back to a protector culture. Um, and so I think that's another piece of that intentionality. You have to know your own tendencies as a leader because sadly, it's not we, we, we flick a switch and we're done. Um, those tendencies are with us for a lifetime and you never graduate from the school of self-awareness. So that intentional piece, if you are the leader of a team, if you are the leader of a family, if you're the leader of a group of people or even an organization, your influence is disproportionate to the number of people that are in it. You as the leader will define the culture unless you are intentional in often, as we say, bringing other voices into the decision-making and actually asking the question, am I being a liberator for those I lead? And we have the, the three questions that we ask, don't we? You know, for me, that's a great help at the start of the week where I, I'm, I'm asking about the people I lead. Do they need more support or challenge from me right now? Well, what is it going to, how do I help them go to the next level? And what are the things, the, the tendencies that they have 
that are undermining their influence. So the idea of being intentional as a leader of team and also the things you said before, I think that plays into that accidental intentional. Yeah, absolutely. And so the ramifications and the consequences of a team or a culture living accidentally, again, leads to mediocrity. It leads to um, really future drama because uh, there's issues that aren't being addressed. Um, if you're if you're intentional, though, the ramifications, the consequences are usually good things. And mm-hmm. You've got people who are thriving. You have people who are more in their 70, 30 or closer to it. Mm-hmm. You, have, you have people who um, you have a team culture where where there's a feeling that we're making progress. I think that's what most adults want. They want to make progress. They want to feel like they're making progress. And um, again, accidental um, keeps from that. All right. What's number two, Steve? What's the second one? Number two um, is, is, is one that may surprise people a little, but it's really um, around a tool we've, we've developed called Go to the Source. So if I describe it for, for people, you can draw it if you've got a, you don't need a degree in art for this one. If you draw um, a, stick, a stick person on the left and another stick person parallel to them on the right and give the one on the left number one and the one on the right number two, what it happens is this, is whenever person one has an issue with person two, the value that defines some of the highest performing teams is what we call a commitment to go to the source. So if I have an issue with you, Jeremy, which obviously happens on a pretty much regular basis, right, right. What, what we commit to do is, rather than go and talk to anyone else and complain about you or go, have you guessed what Jeremy's done again? The value is I come to you and I give you the chance to respond. I go, Jeremy, you know when you said this in that meeting, that's how it made me feel, or when you threw me under the bus in front of the investors and kind of blamed me for losing all the money or whatever it was. It's coming to you first to give you the chance to respond. But the trouble is what a lot of people do, and particularly within the politics of larger organizations, is person one, i.e. me this time, rather than coming to you to give you a chance to respond to what I perceive you've uh, done wrong, I go to person three. And person three is somebody who really I'm now beginning to potentially gossip about you and I come to the person and I go have you going to guess you're never going to guess what Jeremy's done and if they have a if they have go to the source as a value in the team person three will usually say to me Steve um, have you spoken to Jeremy about this and then I'll go whoa you know he doesn't, he's not going to listen we go, no we agreed as a team that we were going to embed the value called go to the source we were going to believe the best in each other and give each other a chance to respond Go and talk to Jeremy. If you can't get reconciliation with him, then I'll help you. And so, therefore, we often say person three. When I, if I'm tempted to go to person three like Mike and complain about you, Mike has a choice. He can either act as what we call a, a conduit or a firewall. So the firewall says, Steve, we have a value. Go and speak to Jeremy. The conduit basically just allows my gossip to go straight through. So Mike goes, yeah, he did that to me last week, week as well. Can't believe he's doing that. So Mike entertains the thing I'm struggling with with you, and all of a sudden, before we know it, what we call gossip and drama enter the team. And every team, don't forget, is a living organism. It's made up of living, dynamic relationships. The moment somebody doesn't go to the source, they go to third party, the third party becomes a conduit, and actually gossip and drama enter into the wider culture and nothing in my experience our experience 
kills culture quicker than where people feel. People go behind each other's backs, they gossip, they kind of they don't feel their colleagues give them the benefit of the doubt and go to the source. Give me some examples, Jez, or add some commentary onto that. Well, so in the in the going back to the first point, then accidental cultures uh, breed gossip, yeah, because they 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 allow it, and it comes in as like real subtle slander, you know, or or just like, you know, Steve, have you ever noticed that that John kind of does this? Does he ever do that to you? Yeah. And that's how it starts, and mm-hmm. so then what takes place is someone might go, yeah. You know, it kind of did. It kind of does happen. So someone might be using that little slander as cyber warfare, which might then the intent to take the other person out. And then this other person allows it to happen. So they actually allow gossip to be a thing between these two, this other person. So if you allow it to even start, it will take root. And then it will start going back and forth. So then accidental leadership and accidental cultures allow it to fester and they start to bloom and then you wake up a year later and people are like, man, I just don't feel like we have a backbiting culture. I feel like we, well, it's not like it just someone woke up that day and goes, I'm going to be a backbiter today. Like, no, that actually was produced inside an accidental culture. So go to the source. If you do it well, it's an intentionality. It means that we don't give any ground. Um, we, don't, we, don't, we don't give any foothold to anything that would uh, kill the culture. We don't give any foothold that would kill productivity. So an intentional leader, uh, if I'm intentional with you and you work for me, I said, uh, I'm fighting for your eyes possible good. Hey, Steve, you need to go to the source with this guy. And I see it as an issue that's constantly undermining you. Well, if I'm really fighting for your highest possible good, I might come to you and go, Steve, did you know, did you know that at times you, you gossip on a regular basis? Did you notice this? Mm-hmm. And it's an, it's an issue that needs to get addressed and we need to. So that's the level of intentionality that we're talking about. So uh, culture is something that has to be maintained, like maintaining a garden. You have to, it, it's like if you're in a greenhouse and you're maintaining plants, you have to water and you have to constantly watch. But it's, it's uh, if you do it, uh, it it'll, everything will turn green. So the, the idea of, of uh, liberation as a lifestyle, being intentional, fighting for the last possible good, it eradicates the footholds of gossip. Yes, great. And as leaders, you see, as I said before, leaders define the culture. So if, if you entertain it when somebody, maybe somebody in the team comes to complain about one of their teammates, you may know what the answer is, but if you fix it, effectively you've acted as the conduit rather than sending them back. And I think, you know, I often say to people is, look, there may come a time when the person so say i come to you and i i try and get it dealt with and you're not responsive you know you're actually resistant and you know however hard i try and share it well you don't get it that's often the time that we can take it to an independent person who maybe the boss or whatever is say help us work this out and i guess ultimately you've got the board of the company or whatever it may be that that really will be the final arbiter so i think i always say to people is go to the source works when you have a desire inside the team, inside relationships for things to be healthy and grow. If you're being bullied by a particular person in a dominator culture, or if you fear in some ways any form of abusive relationship, then I always say to people that go to the source is really a value for teams that are seeking to be intentional, but they sometimes become accidental rather than 
hey, this is always a rule by which you, you have to live. So, you know, hear that. I often put that as a caveat because pe people will sometimes say, well, I, I don't feel safe doing it. Well, once you know you don't feel safe doing it, that probably says that the relationship itself has got to a level which is significantly unhealthy and that may need a different strategy to deal with. So, I mean, we, we, we do it with each other, don't we? I mean, I think the thing I love about you is, you know, there's times you always feel you always feel bad about doing it because there's a kind of a feeling, the relationship piece, and you go, Steve, I need to talk with you. And I go, oh dear, what have I done this time? But I so respect and am grateful for the times you go, Steve, look, this is what I saw, this is what you did. And it gives me the chance then to really be responsive, um, to use that kind of reverse gear if I need to apologize. But I love it because what I know is I'm highly accountable for my actions as a leader. Um, I'm often, it's very rare in our experience that the person deliberately set out to get it wrong or offend someone. And sometimes you'll find that the relationships, when you go to the source, the other person may not like the fact you're calling something up in them, but what they're really doing is they're going, you know, I'm really glad you did that, Jeremy. Our relationship goes to another level, and I then feel it's okay for me to do it to you because you've, we've already modelled that actually our relationship goes deeper. So it, I've never done it. We've never done it with any team anywhere. When I put it up as an idea that any human being anywhere said they didn't want to live in a team where go to the source was a value. But everyone knows it's still hard to do because we're all human. And that's where what you said before, the intentional versus accidental kicks in. Well, and each voice will do it in a different way. Yeah. And so it's important to really understand your wiring, understand your tendencies. And and then you have some people who've been nurtured in a place where it was never uh, allowed or it was not even a, a principle that, that they the family uh, grew up in. So it's just difficult for some people. And most people are so adverse to challenge or they over-challenge. There's uh, hardly very few people that are right in, in between. Yeah. So all right, So what's, what's number three, Steve? I know we've got... Three that we're, we're focused on today for culture. Pillars. So n n number three, obviously, this has no relevance to you or I whatsoever, Jeremy, is um, the, the way we're wired. But it's something that we call provisional plan and promise. And you'll know by now that most of these things are visual. So if you know Giants World, you'll, you'll know this. And what it comes out of is that leaders create a culture or undermine their influence without knowing it. Because most leaders don't understand the power of their voice in that people assume what they say out loud um, is something which actually is needing to happen. So particularly if you're a strong extrovert or, you know, you, you kind of talk out loud a lot like you and I do, the, the provisional plan promise came because there were a number of times where I would be thinking out loud or you would be thinking out loud and we were just being provisional. We were just sharing ideas, possibilities, what could be, you know, just none of it other than We've got to find a way through this. But that certain people would hear what we were saying out loud and assume that at least it was a plan that defined exactly what we were going to do in the future. And worse still, some of them actually thought that what we were thinking out loud was us promising that this would happen. So we developed this idea of vocabulary, provisional plan and promise, so that actually people can ask. So I say to people, if you're not sure... Just ask me. Probably if I'm thinking out loud, I'm being provisional, which means all ideas are good ideas. We're, we're brainstorming. Let's collaborate. Let's make this better. Plan is, this is our considered action. This is what we're actually going to do. 
unless something really significant changes that we're unaware of right now. And promise means this is my personal integrity on the line. If I promise something, then basically um, it will happen or you have every right to question whether I am a trustworthy person and integrity is important to me. So a fun story on this, and some of you who are listening might uh, completely relate to this. Um, I'm driving in the car with my kids and have my conversation. I, I see a billboard for the Grand Canyon, and I said, wouldn't that be cool? We had to go to the Grand Canyon. Provisional, right, in my <laughs> mind. Uh, so um, and I start talking about what it looks like. My son is asking me questions. I'm a connector. He's a guardian. He starts asking all these detailed questions. We get home. He walks in. He goes, Mom, Dad says we're going to the Grand Canyon. She, she looks at me. She looks at me like, when did you say, you know, we have another trip. When are we going to do? We're going to the Grand Canyon. When? And I'm like, no, 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 no. And my son goes, oh, you mean we're not going to the Grand Canyon now? <laughs> so I'm stuck. I'm like going, uh, we're going to the, sure we're going to go to the Grand Canyon. We still haven't gone to the Grand Canyon yet. I mean, this was like several years ago. Yeah. But it was the idea. I didn't have the language. I was trying to explain, no, I'm just talking out loud. Well, well, provisional is a much easier way to say, hey, guys, I'm thinking provisionally here. Wouldn't it be cool? Mm. Okay, so we're not going to do it, but maybe we, well, we might do it, but we might not. You know, let's just, let's talk it out. So my wife and my son, who are guardians, it's giving them much better language. So they then ask me, so is this provisional? And when they do, they go, okay, he's just talking. He's brainstorming. Great. Yeah. That gives me freedom. So yeah, that's a brilliant story. Um, I'll give you one of mine in a minute. But in terms of how leaders affect culture, if you are a charismatic, um, entrepreneurial kind of leader who loves almost the you know some of that where you don't need everything settled, that you actually are quite adaptable, flexible, you know, you, you quite enjoy the, the freedom to do that. It's amazing how you can completely burn off some of the other voices in your team, particularly some of those detail-orientated voices, perhaps the nurturers and the guardians, because in their mind, you being provisional without giving them a code looks like you being inconsistent, constantly moving the goalposts, and never committing to any plan. So most organizations need some people who are great at project management. They're often, you know, in, in Jungian type, they're the J's on the end. But what happens is they'll only do it for a period of time because if you say you're thinking out loud, they think it's plan, they spend the next two weeks' work working flat out to deliver what they thought you asked for, and then you come back in and go, hey, I've had another great idea. And they're right. like, well, hang on, two weeks ago, you said we were going to do this. And you go, well, well, I was only thinking out loud. I was only being provisional. Or do you know, or worse still, yeah, I know that was the plan then, but do you never guess what's happened since? Here's a great opportunity. I think we're going to go here again. You'd be amazed how many leaders we meet who, without ever realizing it or being intending to, don't understand the impact their words have on their teams around them. So the more senior your role the more intentional you have to be in what you share out loud. So, because people assume that, well, you wouldn't be thinking something if it wasn't actually what's going to happen. So having a sounding board where you can have those conversations, which is why, you know, you and I enjoy working together so much. The number of times we'll talk for hours and it's safe. Most leaders need a safe place to think out loud because they sometimes think out loud in the wrong place 
and they completely disorientate and often undermine their influence long term because people wonder whether they can trust what they're saying will actually happen. It's good. So our, our hope for all of you who are listening um, is that when we, when we have this uh, Liberator podcast to give you practical insight, I mean, things that you can actually apply. If you took, for instance, just these concepts today, being intentional, almost like think of it like uh, flipping a switch. You have a switch on your back. You switch it to intentional and you, you turn on and you think about it. Like, for instance, uh, if you're going into the weekend, uh, Thursday night is where I plan for what, how do I want to feel when I come back Monday? So I think about what I want to do with my family. I think about recharge time. I think about those things intentionally. Uh, if you think about your team, what's the intentional uh, um, things, that, items that you want to do for the week? So turning on to be intentional is one. Second is implementing go to the source. So it's a tool to eradicate gossip, to not give it a foothold, to have it a system of accountability. And then three, uh, really bringing provisional plan of promise so that people know how to encounter you. And, and makes you it makes you so much more effective because people then know how to read you. Uh, but if, if, uh, if you've not been intentional on these types of cultural tools, then you're not going to have a culture that you love. Um, it's just the, the reality. And so that's what we try to do at the Liberator Podcast and, and what we do in Giant as a whole. Steve and I bring uh, these kinds of simple, sticky, scalable concepts. And uh, we basically help people um, uh, grow their, their organizations and grow their, their leaders. So, Steve, any last final thoughts before we, we jump off for today? Only, only just to say that um, everything we share, honestly, has come out of our own failure. We often say that kind of that giants, we're really looking for leaders that are humble, hungry, and smart. That I always say to people, make different mistakes from the ones we've already made. You will make mistakes as a leader, but be humble enough to learn from ours. And that's really, you know, if you go through every one of our 23 episodes of podcast, what you'll find is all of the tools, all of these insights are not coming out of a lecture theater on a big MBA or PhD program. This is us trying to mine out real practical applied learning that's making a difference in our world and we're offering it to you so that at least you can make different mistakes so these are all three of those ones we've shared today i would say are absolutely profound in every circle of influence of your life so there you go but if you want to know more about what we do uh, go to giantworldwide.com and uh until next time uh, we wish you all well. We can't wait to uh, see what kind of adventures that we have uh, to share and talk about. And we'll see you on the next episode. Take care. Thanks so much for listening. That concludes today's episode of the Liberator Podcast from Giant Worldwide. You can find out more information about us online at giantworldwide.com.